we believers sing in church because Christ has commanded us to sing. Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19. Let's actually open up. Somebody open to Colossians 3.16 and somebody open up to Ephesians 5.19. Let's hear these commands. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Colossians 3.16, I love that, in wisdom, not just in emotion, not just in something you feel, but in wisdom, in all wisdom, in all knowledge, and gaining, because gaining knowledge of God is only going to lead you to worship. Uh, Ephesians 5.19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. See, I love it. Now that's context. See, now it's uh, worship isn't void of emotion, but it's not all about emotion. So we are singing in wisdom and in our hearts. As Bob Coughlin observes, because God means for creatures created in his image to do as he does. So go to Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt, he will exalt over you with loud singing. So see, God is singing over us. How cool is that? So we are commanded to sing because God sings. Hebrews 2.12. He says, I will declare with your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. congregation, I will sing your praises. We sing to own and affirm the word. Singing is how us, the congregation, owns as ours and affirms the word of God for itself. In the Bible, singing is one God-ordained way for the members of a congregation to respond to God's revelation. It's how they raise their hand and they say, yes, I believe and affirm these truths with my whole heart. So we own and affirm. What does owning something mean? It's yours. It's yours. So how do we own the gospel? How does that, the things that we know about God, how do we own that as ours? Share it. But why would we share it? We own it, and we want to share it, but what does so that mean with owning it? the word of God dollar. Because if we're owning it, it's ours. So, we so we're giving it away. So, yeah, owning it, meaning we know it to be true <laughs> so much that it is ours. It is very personal. It's God, Christ is completely mine, but so much so that I want to share others with others so they can know it and own it as well. Now, what does affirmant mean? What's affirmation mean? To like, like, what's that word? Um, to like, you know, like, set it in, like, stone or, you know, like, make it, I don't know, what's that, what's that saying you do? <laughs> affirmation is more like, for instance, my wife is a big lover of words of affirmation. And what that means is when I tell her, not just that I love her, but why I love her. The things that I enjoy about her, the things that make me happy about her. That's words of affirmation, words of like, it's like expressing love. So to affirm, to own and affirm the word is to know it, love it, and so yeah, affirming it as in saying, yes, I agree with this, and now let's share it. Let's tell the rest of the world. So how, what a better way, what a gift we have to be able to share it own it and affirm it through song, not just um, speaking it, but singing it. What a, what a joyous thing.
We sing to engage. Singing is how the congregation engages its emotions and affections with God's word. Jonathan Edwards proposed that God gave us music holy to excite and express religious affections. The psalmist seems to embody this idea when he writes, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme at Psalms 45.1. Singing, I'd say, is the medium by which God's people grab hold of his word and align their emotions and affection to God's. That's, a, that's awesome. Jonathan Lehman. That's a, I mean, that's a perfect definition. Let me read it again. Singing, I'd say, is the medium by which God's people grab hold of his word and align their emotions and affection to God's. So that's, that's that wisdom and singing with your heart. Not just one or the other, they're one and the same. It's not surprising that Paul would command churches to sing the Psalms. John Calvin called the Psalms an anatomy of all parts of the soul since it offers readers words which they can place in, into their own mouths for properly expressing the whole range of human emotions. See, that's why I love the songs that we sing here, because we sing joy, we sing praise, we sing crying out in hope to God, we sing suffering in God, we sing, you know, uh, satisfied in you alone, you know, type songs, which is really cool. We are, so we sing to engage is really singing to engage our emotions, but also singing to engage with God and, and the Bible. We are one. Singing is one way of showing the world the oneness we have in Christ and with each other. Just imagine how Israel used the Psalms to build the unity of their hearts with one another. You know what that means? What do we say in Israel? What's Israel? Their country. But in this sentence, like, so Israel in the Old Testament were the people held captive by the Egyptians. So for 400 years, they were in slavery and bondage, working like slave labor. 400 years. Over four. It's like 432 or something. And they sang to each other. When they were off of work and they were in their own little shanty towns, they were singing. They were praising God still. And now talk about a joy and a comfort and a bearing each other's burdens and loads with one another through those songs, still praising God because they knew God was good and that God had a plan. Paul's command demonstrates this in Colossians. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in your hearts. We just read that. We're to let peace rule since we're called to one body. We're to be thankful and we can do this all by singing Christ's word together. Have you guys ever experienced that yet? Have you come to church? Maybe not in the mood for church, not in the mood to sing, definitely not in the mood to sing on stage, but then you start singing. You hear the people around you singing. You see the faces and the hands raised to God and just truly worshiping, and that's changed you. Have you guys experienced that yet? What a neat thing. Yeah, I've been on stage, you know, leading, and just a long day. I'm tired, just totally not in it. And I can just feel God's like presence. He kind of just picks me up and he says, all right, worship now, worship me. You know, I'm so much bigger than your, your day. And I, a lot of the time, the, somebody in the audience that doesn't even, or in the congregation that doesn't even realize that they're affecting me, they're just worshiping. They're there to sing to God and praise God and even cry out to God. And that so helps me. So that's why that's the beauty of us singing together and the importance of us whether you're in the congregation or on stage. God has given us music and church so that the people together can own it, confirm it, rejoice in it, and unite us around God's word. All of us sing together, great vocals to howls of some, 
delighting with one voice in their Savior. doesn't matter how great of a singer you are. doesn't matter how bad your, your cold is and you can't sing at all. Just It's all about where your heart's at and having that knowledge of God to rejoice in his truth. The most beautiful instrument in Christian services is, is the sound of the congregation singing as one. You'll notice that the louder the congregation is singing, the more I back off the mic. Um, it happens sometimes during youth services, but if you ever come to remix or, you know, we ever lead any main uh, service, when that when the, the congregation is just overwhelming, oh, I love it. I'm worshiping right along with them even more, and I just love to just hear them sing. I don't want to hear my own voice. I just want to hear them. Sometimes I just stop singing. How do we worship? Mark Dever and Paul Alexander give this advice to pastors. As the main teaching pastor, it is your responsibility to shepherd the congregation into the green pastures of God-centered, gospel-centered songs. And away from the arid plains of theological emptiness, meditations on human experience, and emotional frenzy. If our songs are never set above lack of thought, human experience, and emotions, we have fallen short of our goal. God must be the center of our worship. Therefore, God must be the center of our songs. Start paying. I know I've said this before, and I'm never going to stop saying it because we're saturated by bad, empty, shallow Christian songs. You know, it's like we, we have enough shallowness just in our reality TV and pop music. But now it's, it's spilled over into the Christian mainstream that you listen, turn on the radio, and 85% of the songs are going to just be all about how I feel about God or my experience with God or, you know, um, like you said, emotional frenzy. It's just uh, theological emptiness. And so we need to get back. We need to be able to have enough knowledge and wisdom in our own minds about who God is that when we hear this, we can say, wow, that's a great melody. I understand why the song's popular, but it's just not saying anything. Songs are sermons. They don't work like a pastor's teaching the Bible, but they proclaim biblical truths. Our songs teach and shape the way people view God, Christ, and each other, and how we are to live in light of the gospel. We have a wonderful God who has done amazing things for us who call him Lord. We have promises and unlimited reasons to worship our God and Father for eternity. When Isaac Watts published psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which he wrote about a thousand in his day, his goal was not to sing scripture line by line, but to create poetic emotional and emotional renditions of scripture that allow a church to sing the truths of scripture. In his day, he got the church in an uproar about his writings. He didn't just sing the Psalms as they did. He changed them to, to put what Christ has done in the mix. That was the focus of God and should be the focus of our music. And I kind of took that same leading. As soon as I started leading these various services, I, I found it my responsibility to not just take a song at face value. When I hear a song of people, you know, the, whoever the pastor wants me to play a certain song, I, I read through it. And it's so easy to get swept away by certain melodies and certain how songs are written because they're written really well. But just read the words without singing it, without listening to the song. And you can sometimes you'd be like, wait, what am I even reading here? What is the song talking about? And sometimes that can be because it's a little too deep and the words are too big and too grand. So we're like, ah, I don't know what's happening. But you know when the song is written simply and it just seems real vague. Like I could be talking about a boy or a girl in the song. You know, the why does this have to do with God? So do you guys know the song Take Me In? Take me past the outer courts and to the holy place. Well, past the brazen altar, Lord, I want to see your face. Take me into the holies of holies. Uh, take me in by the blood of the lamb. It's a song talking about the tabernacle, which is really cool because we don't sing about the tabernacle much. But it just repeats the first verse and chorus again. So all we're left in is Old Testament tabernacle imagery. So I went in there and let's, let's bring it up to the, let's bring it to Christ now. 
So Christ has made us priests before God. Through his cross, we are made clean. Christ has changed this. We are the temple he dwells in, not the tabernacle. The tabernacle, just for those who aren't familiar, the tabernacle is what they built in the Old Testament for a place for them to meet God. Well, it was really just for the priests. You know, Dana has talked about the priest one time a year, come in there and make the sacrifices for his people and all that stuff. Well, now we are God's tabernacle. We are the place where God, where Christ resides. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. Um, we sing this song called Deliver Me. We'll probably never sing it for youth services because it's really deep, but it's right out of Psalms 3. And basically talks about like destroy my enemies break the teeth of the wicked is what it says and we actually sing that in the chorus and what's neat though you read that and you get all kind of fired up like yeah you know down with the wicked but then the bridge comes in and we bring christ into it and it says jesus cried aloud father forgive them for they know not what they do and he took all my sin uh and then the last chorus sings he rose so the the core the, the our first two choruses sing Arise, deliver me, break the teeth of the wicked. That's the chorus. The last chorus says, he rose and delivered me, even though I was wicked. So that brings such a refreshing and true, like, thought of what Christ has done for us. We can get all fired up about, yeah, break the teeth of the wicked, save us from this evil world. But to remember, like, no, no, that was us. We were wicked, and Christ saved us. It's only by God are we anything. Perfect Law is another song I wrote out of uh, Psalms 19, I think. And it talks about the law of God. The law of the Lord is is fulfilling the soul. The, the statutes of God are pure. And it's like rejoicing in God's law, which is such an interesting topic to sing about, but we're supposed to be doing that. Um, more to be loved are they than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Uh, is, is your, you know, basically your law is perfect, right? But then the last chorus we sing, I, I bring in Christ in the last verse. I forget what it says. But then it says, more to be loved is he than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Your, only your perfect son alone is, is perfect. So, you know, just those little things like thinking, okay, how is, are we, is a non-Christian going to understand what we're talking about? Is the, is the mature Christian going to be edified and sanctified by what we're talking about? So anyways, let's move on. Last end of the page. One way to ensure our singing is biblical is to go through our songs to see if we are singing what the Bible says. It doesn't have to be word for word, but it must contain his word. Our songs need good theology. You guys know what theology means? To put it real simply, it's the study of God. So people that say they don't like theology or theology is stupid, or that's, that's just ignorant because that's, you're either a good theologian or a bad theologian. There's nothing else. If you don't study God, you're a bad theologian. If you study God, then you hopefully are a good theologian if you're coming up with the right biblical endings. But we need to try and get exegesis, biblical theology, and systematic theology in all of our songs. Okay, for a real quick, what that means, exegesis. Okay, this is the perfect picture. I'll give you two imagery. So exegesis means taking like a verse of the Bible and just breaking it apart, explaining it to, to, to completion. Um, biblical theology is like taking a chunk of passage or even like a whole book of the Bible and explaining that. Systematic theology is looking at the entire Bible. What does the entire Bible say about a certain topic? It's a good way to think about it, an easy way to remember. If you could, Have any, anyone been to the Grand Canyon? exegesis would be you're at the bottom level of the Grand Canyon. You're looking at the rocks. You're, you're, you're jumping under the waterfall. You're seeing everything that is right there ground level. Biblical theology is like you've, you're standing at the top. You're looking at it. You, you're walking down and you're, you're on the donkey. You're hiking, whatever you, and you're just checking everything out. Like, this is awesome. 
systematic theology, you've hopped in the helicopter now, and you're looking at the whole thing, how it all works together. Now, you see how any one of these by itself, you would miss a lot, right? If you're just up in the helicopter, that's cool, but what's that glimmering, shiny thing down there? It kind of looks like a waterfall. Huh, interesting. You're, you're, not, you're not examining it at all. The biblical theology, you're walking around. That's cool. You're, you're exploring stuff, but you're not, you're not getting down. Like, what precious rocks are here? Is there anything cool you know, on the ground? And that's the exegesis part. Where you're literally, I mean, you're checking out and you're absorbing, you're breathing the dust, you're swimming in the water. So um, another way to think about it, too, is like think of an orchestra. Exegesis is paying attention to the one violin. Make sure that one violin is in tune the, or playing their parts right. Biblical theology is the section of violins sounds like it's in tune with the section of cellos. Good. Systematic theology is the whole orchestra playing together all as one. So it's pretty you need every single part to be working together or everything's going to be off. So it's important for us to know these things and to be growing in the knowledge of these things so that we can tear apart songs right. We can be reading our Bibles right. Our song should be held up. Page. Song should be held up to the light of God's word to ensure we are singing the glories of its truth. Our song should be biblical. The songs of the church should be built on, shaped by, and saturated with the word of God. Singing is a unique way to let the word of God, Christ, dwell richly in us. In Psalms 19 or 96:2, uh, we are to bless His name. Apart from God's grace of revelation, we would know we would not know His name. Our singing and all of uh, all our lives of worship must be biblically sound in order to carry out these kinds of commands. The songs we sing in church should be intentionally biblical. The congregational song should point to the gospel. Every song without exception should be fully gospel saturated. We should tell of his salvation. If we teach sound doctrine and we should sing sound doctrine, we are memorizing the gospel and even scripture in good worship songs. So our songs focus by Matt Boswell. We sing to God as the holy creator of all things who is worthy of worship. We sing of man and our sinful nature, our alienation from God and our need to need of forgiveness. We sing of Christ, who is fully God and fully man, who lived a sinless life and died on the cross to bear the wrath of God. We sing a response in these songs of consecration and repentance, faith and praise. We joyfully respond to the good news of Jesus. And part of that good news that we should be in here is we sing about his glorious return and how we get to be in eternity with him.